brother. Again, in the house of the living God, and to be able to sit together at the gospel table one more time. In God's wonderful providence, He's given us this great gift, which I think all too often we would take for granted. You know, this past week has been the observance of Thanksgiving. And it is a wonderful time, isn't it? It's a time of family and friends getting together. It's a time of reflection. I know my wife and I enjoyed our Thanksgiving together. And as I said in my study and looked at a a picture of the men of God that ordained me in 1979, it's hard for me to believe that this much time has passed by us all of those dear men are are gone they're they're no longer here men that i look up to and learn from sit at their feet was encouraged by and strengthened by and and taught and i was made to be thankful for the heritage that god has given me i think about my wife and children and grandchildren and how wonderfully blessed I feel to be because of their gift in my life. But most of all, this morning I am overwhelmed by a sense of thanksgiving for Jesus Christ. I'd like you to open your Bible with us to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17 this morning. We want to title our study together, Where are the nine? In Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11, going through verse 19. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. All ten of them were cleansed. And one of them when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. When we think about the definition of thanksgiving, the antithesis to being thankful is to be ungrateful, unthankful. Uh, and in, 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 in gratitude, 
an attitude of ingratitude, as it were. I, I like the definition of thanksgiving by Alexander Cruden. He said, an acknowledging and confessing with gladness the benefits and mercies which God bestows either upon ourselves or upon others. Now that's a good, uh, I think that's a good biblical definition of what it means to be thankful. I'm mindful of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. He said, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Here's this wonderful admonition to be thankful. To be thankful to God for what He has done in our lives. Now, let us go into this text and see its deeper meaning in the life of God's people. The first point I want to make out of this reading is the direction. The direction Jesus was going. He was going to Jerusalem. All the way through the book of Luke, you'll see that Luke is, is documenting the path that Jesus took from Nazareth all the way through Samaria and Galilee and over into Jerusalem. And why this is such an important point is that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to be crucified. That's what's on his mind. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, he set his face toward Jerusalem. He, he, it is uh, according to God's divine sovereign purpose for Jesus to go at that time to Jerusalem and to be made an offering for sin on behalf of all of those chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's what's on his mind. That's heavy on his mind as he contemplates the suffering that he's about to endure. But isn't it wonderful that Jesus would take the time he would take the opportunity to minister grace and compassion upon those who were socially rejected, those that were socially despised, because leprosy, as we know from the reading of God's Word, is a dreadful disease. It's, it's a disease that is likened unto sin. The Jews of Christ's day would consider the leper as an object of divine judgment. In other words, they would look at a leper as someone under a divine curse. Therefore, according to Leviticus 13 and 14, the leper was not to approach a Jew. They were not to get near unto a Jew. That's why they're uh, shouting uh, to Jesus on this, on this path. Because according to the law, if they were to come too close to a Jewish company, they had the right to stone them to death. It was a very serious thing. But the direction Jesus is going is toward Jerusalem so that he would not only die for the leprous sins of his people, but that he would demonstrate the sovereignty of God in the salvation of sinners. So here he comes into a certain village. That tells us that it wasn't haphazard. 
It wasn't an accident. It wasn't luck that he would come into this place that's called a certain village. It's, it's very similar to the language of John chapter 4 when Jesus was going into uh, uh, Samaria to minister to one woman at a well. It was a certain woman at a certain place at a certain time and Jesus had a certain appointment with that woman. There was nothing that could hinder him from going there and her from meeting him at the well. It was by divine arrangement, by divine appointment. Luke and the story that we're studying this morning is very similar to that. This is by divine appointment that Jesus comes into this village on his way to Jerusalem. And this village would be out of the way from his direct, uh, uh, direct path to the city of Jerusalem. He would pass through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And it's interesting to me that Samaria and Galilee were both considered areas of ceremonial defilement to the religious Jew. In other words, a religious Jew would never be caught dead in Galilee or in Samaria. And, and uh, it, it's intriguing to me. And when I study the difference between the Samaritan and the religious Jew, it's very interesting. The Samaritans worshipped, but they worshipped in ignorance. Remember, Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, Ye know not what you worship. The reason he made that, um, made that observation was because the Samaritans rejected most of the Old Testament. They only believed in the five books of Moses. That, that's, that, that's their Bible, the five books of Moses. They did not believe in the prophets. They did not believe in the historical data that is contained in the rest of the Old Testament. They, they, they ignored that. They, they uh, discounted that and only kept the five books of Moses as their rule and their guide. So Jesus would say to them, Ye worship what ye know not what. For the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to serve Him, to praise Him, to be thankful to Him. John 4, 24. So the direction is very significant in this story. And verse 12, And as He entered into a certain village by divine decree, there met Him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. Now, when we read this verse, we're assuming that all ten of these men are Jews. We have to wait later in the story to find out that one was a Samaritan. And that's so unusual because a Jew had nothing to do with the Samaritan. But when a Samaritan was in the same condition or the same disease with a Jewish man, it failed to have any significance. So here are ten men and they're meeting Jesus as uh, he comes into the city, not as he's going out. You can just imagine how weary Christ must have been when he entered into this city. This is over a 50-mile walk from where he was, and, and he had to be pretty tired. You know, we drive 50 miles, and we're tired. Jesus was walking 50 miles. But instead of Jesus saying, holding up his hand and saying, Wait a minute, let me go get some rest. Let me go get something to eat. 
Let me go take care of myself first, and then I'll come and minister to you. As he entered into the village or the city, these ten lepers cried out to him. They cried out. They stood afar off because according to Levitical law, they had to be a hundred paces away from him. A hundred paces away from him. Numbers chapter 5 verse 2. And they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Um, which reflected both uh, grief as well as isolation. They were in desperate need. And they were given something. They were given the, the faith. They were given the information that Jesus Christ had mercy even on lepers. They had heard that report and they believed it. And when they cried out and lifted up their voices, they didn't say, Jesus, Master, have justice toward us. We need your justice. We need your equity. They cried out for their deepest need. And that's mercy. They cried out for mercy. This is um, their desire. Their desire, in the deep sense of their misery, they cry out for mercy rather than justice. And this is a common thread through all the Gospels, isn't it? Bartimaeus didn't cry out for justice. He said, have mercy on us, uh, thou, thou son of David. Um, the blind, the halt, the, the deaf, the blind, the dumb, those that recognized their own misery and, and need would never cry out for justice. They would cry out for mercy. And I love verse 14. I, in fact, I've underlined this verse so much that I can't tell what color it is when he saw them. When he, Christ, saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. I want to think about that just a moment. Do you realize that Jesus sees you? Do, do you realize that He actually sees you? He doesn't see you in, um, in the sense that I see you. He doesn't uh, see you in taking notice of you. But He sees you through and through. This morning He sees you in your deepest need. He knows what we stand in need of when no one else does. Because He knows the heart. He saw them. He saw them with the eyes of compassion. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 36, Jesus had compassion upon the multitude because He saw them as sheep having no shepherd. And the next verse says, And He healed all of them. There was not one need that ever was brought to Jesus Christ that he was incapable of curing. He healed them all. Isn't that a marvelous thing? But isn't it interesting he would say to these healed lepers, go show yourself to the priest. You know what he was doing? He was uh, observing the ceremonial law that was still in existence at that time. Because in Leviticus chapter 14, we read that when a leper was healed, he was to present himself to the priest, and the priest was to, to, uh, was to declare him clean. 
And that meant that he was acceptable in society again. That meant that he was able to go to the temple again. He was able to worship again. You see, the leper was ostracized not only from his family and from his community, but also from the house of God. He was not allowed to go into the house of God. He was not allowed to offer sacrifices of any kind in the house of God. So the priest had to declare him clean for him to have the benefits that followed. So this ceremonial law that was prescribed in Leviticus 14 was being observed by Jesus Christ. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now what this is, is uh, observing the obedience of these individuals to the word of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's going to be a reward for obedience. Now the question remains, what would happen if they did not go? If they were not on their way to the priest? Do you believe that they would have been healed? I think not. I believe that this healing was contingent upon their obedience. I love what Matthew Henry said on this particular verse. He said, when we obey the Lord, doing what we can, God will do for us that which we cannot. I thought that was a very profound statement by Matthew Henry. And it, and it, and it really uh, delves into the true meaning of this action. They were in obedience to Christ. And in the process of that obedience, they received healing. I wonder this morning... If we are in obedience to Christ or disobedience. If we're walking in disobedience to Christ, then are we to expect healing? Are we to expect blessing? Are we to expect um, renewal or revival? If we ourselves are walking in disobedience, I think not. I think not. You see, brothers and sisters, I believe it's important for us to obey. You know, we're, we, we never advocate salvation by works. But brothers and sisters, we advocate a salvation that is accompanied by works. The works is not what saves us, but the works declare that we have been saved. So faith without works is what? Dead being alone. I think that that's part of this lesson. That's part of this story. Um, as they went, they were cleansed. As they obeyed, they were cleansed. And verse 15, and one of them, just one, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And with a loud voice, glorified God with a loud voice I can just imagine can you imagine that I can just imagine this individual that, that's covered with this leprous disease that perhaps part of his fingers and part of his nose and part of his ears are missing and in the extremities of the flesh that's the nature of the disease of leprosy and I can, I can imagine him uh, covered up as it were Trying to hide his shame. 
And now he's able to take those dirty clothes off and raise his hands in praise and thanksgiving to the one that brought healing to his life. What a, what a change. What, what a difference Jesus makes in the life of an individual. He cried with a loud voice and glorified God and he fell down on his face. Look at this humility. Look at the deliverance of this individual. He turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell on his face giving thanks unto him. And he was a Samaritan. The most unlikely of the ten has been brought to a position of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And Jesus is going to draw attention to that. He's going to ask the question, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Where are the ones that should be as grateful and thankful as this individual? Where are the ones that have been blessed, not only with the five books of Moses, but also with the knowledge that was given through the prophets. Where are the nine that possessed a temple worship? Where are the nine that possessed the high priest in the lineage of Aaron? Where are the nine unto whom were committed the oracles of God, all the writings of God, the history of God? Where are the ones that are descending from King David? Where are they? They're nowhere to be found. You see, Jesus is showing the ingratitude of the Jewish nation at the coming of the Messiah. And here's this unlikely Samaritan, just like the woman at the well in John chapter 4, a, a very unlikely person that in the providence of God was brought to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That teaches me that salvation is not dependent upon natural heritage. It's not dependent upon a bloodline or a certain tradition. It's based solely upon the sovereign will and power of a covenant-keeping God. Where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger. And that word stranger means foreigner. Because the Samaritans were foreign to the religious understanding of the Jews. And he said unto him, Arise, I love this, Arise, go thy way, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. When he says, Go thy way, he's talking about the way of thanksgiving, the way of praise, the way of uh, worship of the true and the living God and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he says, Thy faith hath made thee whole. The word uh, whole there, Thy faith hath made thee whole, is also translated saved. Thy faith hath saved thee, implying that a redemptive aspect was involved with the physical healing. In other words, his physical leprosy was removed, but it indicated a spiritual cleansing from his spiritual leprosy, of sin. You see that? That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to save the leper, to save the unlikely candidate for salvation in this world. Now, when we study the scriptures, we notice that it's full of admonitions to the people of God 
to be thankful. Did you know that Thanksgiving is a, is a command of God? In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Brother Nathan's favorite text, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. You want, you want to know what God's will is for your life, brothers and sisters? You want to know what God's will is? To be thankful. To be thankful, to be grateful for what God in heaven has given to you. In Ephesians 5 verse 20, Paul says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a command. It's not just a good idea. It's a command of Scripture. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, And as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught. Now when we're talking about the faith, we're talking about the revealed body of truth in the Word of God. He says, I want you to continue in it. That's how we show our thanksgiving to God. Colossians 3 verse 17, Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Hallelujah. And, and again, in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2, He says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. See, it's a part of the uh, makeup of God's people to be thankful but the question still remains, where are the nine? I wonder sometimes if we're not a part of the nine. I wonder sometimes if we don't take for granted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I wonder if we don't take for granted the teaching of God's Word and the reading of God's Word. How many of our Bibles are covered with dust because we haven't read it? in such a long time that is a reflection of an ungrateful people brothers and sisters the bible is so full of teaching on this point god is pleased when his people are thankful to him i find in leviticus chapter 7 verses 12 and 13 a mention of the sacrifice of thanksgiving it is a sacrifice that's offered in connection with peace offerings for specific sins that were committed by an individual. And not only that, for specific, uh, uh, for specific uh, blessings that have been enjoined to a family. For instance, when children were born, the father would bring a thanksgiving offering to the priest, thankful to God for the newborn child. When the crops were being gathered, and it's a bumper crop. The, the farmer would take um, a part of that crop as a thanksgiving offering unto the Lord. You see, recognizing that God is the owner of everything I have. Everything I am. You're sitting there and you're saying, well, I'll tell you what. You know, it kind of reminds me of a story of a, of a farmer in, uh, in East Texas one time. A preacher was preaching that everything we have uh, be belongs to God. And that farmer came up to G uh, the uh, preacher and says, I want you to come uh, to lunch with me at my house. And so the preacher did. And uh, the preacher got in his pickup and he drove several miles this direction. And he drove several miles that direction. And he drove all the way around his huge farm and ranch. 
And when he got back to his driveway, he says, uh, Preacher, today you said that God is the one that uh, owns everything. And God is the one that uh, blessed me with this farm. And the preacher says, that's right, brother. He did. He said, well, uh, he said, you should have seen it when God had it all by himself. He was talking about the brush and the thorns and the thistles and no fences and all kinds of uh, difficulties. But what the farmer didn't realize was that God had everything in his own possession and gave it to the man for him to work. And, and, and you know, and it's interesting how we think about things, don't we? God is the one that gave the man his strength to clear the land, to plant a crop. God is the one that gave the man the wisdom to know what to plant and when to plant it. See, God is the one that gives us all things. And that's why we need to be thankful for everything that we have, all the skills, all the talent. Oh, you're, are you talented? I'm looking at a house full of people that have many talents. Where'd you get those talents? God gave it to you. You think you ought to thank Him? Or are you one of the nine? You see, brothers and sisters, we need to be offering sacrifice of thanksgiving to the living God. I read also, the wife and I have been reading through the Old Testament together, and there in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 8, I read where Nehemiah brought the people with Ezra uh, and they sang psalms of thanksgiving. These psalms were led by the priests and the Levites that came back to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel and Nehemiah to rebuild the temple. And, and what psalms are there? There's many psalms, aren't they? We call them praise psalms. But in Psalm chapter 69, verse 30, David said, I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. I will magnify. You, you know what magnify means, don't you? When you take a magnifying glass, I remember one of the whip, one of the worst whippings I got. Uh, we we got a magnifying glass out of uh, the Cracker Jack's box. Uh, you know, they used to put gifts in there, and uh, I got, lo and behold, I got a magnifying glass. Well, what do you do with a magnifying glass? Well, you go out and you get dead leaves, and you concentrate the heat of the sun. I shouldn't be saying this. You know. <laughs> Logan, Logan's here. He might try. Don't try this, Logan. But uh, you, you can actually start a fire. And, and you know, if you get it close to Daddy's barn, with that dried wood on the side of his barn, that fire can get out of hand and start burning down Daddy's barn. Now, I, I, I didn't try anything like that. I just heard of this. But brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. When you magnify, the Lord, you make Him bigger in your life. In fact, you make Him the biggest thing in your life. And what He does, He heats you up. <laughs> he consumes you, and you begin to live for His glory. And you begin to say, Lord, I want a life that will please you. I want to marry a man or a woman that will bring pleasure to your heart. That will help me be more uh, 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 a part of the advancement of your kingdom. 
I'm more concerned about what you want than what I want. I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. In Psalm chapter 95, verse 2, he said, Let us come before his face with thanksgiving. In Psalm chapter 100, verse 4, he says, Let us enter into his great gates with praise and thanksgiving. In Psalm 147, verse 7, he says, Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving and praise in your heart. You see, that's, I believe, what God is is doing in the life of His people. But then when His people join the nine, they fail to render the thanks that's due to Him. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of that. And I've tried to repent of that. I want to be thankful for even the very air that I breathe. I, I want to be thankful for the health that I've been given. I, I want to be thankful for the skills that God has given me as a carpenter. I want to be thankful for everything in the life that God has given me. What are we thankful for this morning? Well, let's think about that a few minutes. I want to be thankful for spiritual blessings. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's given us many spiritual blessings, and all of them find their center in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the very mediator between God and men. He's the one that uh, God the Father blesses us through. I want to be thankful for the spiritual blessings. I love what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I, I want to be thankful for the spiritual blessings that we have this morning. I want to be thankful for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ wherein we can come and offer spiritual sacrifice of praise and adoration. It's a great gift, brothers and sisters. Don't take it for granted. Don't be among the nine that go away with an ingrateful attitude and, uh, and, 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 and uh, miss out on God's best in this wicked old broken world full of promises that they cannot keep and rewards that they cannot give. I want to be thankful for spiritual blessings this morning. I want to be thankful for moral blessings of wisdom and knowledge that come to us through the Word of God. Case in point, in Daniel chapter 2, remember the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and how he said to, uh, that all his wise men were to be killed because they couldn't tell him what the dream was. Remember that? He says, you tell me the dream and the interpretation. You know those those magicians says, you know, nobody's ever asked that of us. You know, there's no king that's ever asked his wise men to tell the dream, only the interpretation. You tell us the dream, Nebi, and we'll give you the interpretation. But Nebuchadnezzar was kind of like I am sometimes, Brother Bobby. I forgot it. I forgot what the dream was. So you need to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And if you can't do that, I'm going to have you killed and your house uh, made a heap of dung, a trash heap, a trash dump. 
you know, he was a real kind of nice guy, wasn't he? <laughs> Overflowing with the milk of human kindness, he was. Well, when word got to Daniel, Arioch came to Daniel and says, Daniel, I'm going to have to kill you. Because the king said, if you can't tell him the dream and the interpretation, kill all the wise men. Daniel says, give me, a, give me a little time. He went to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and said, Boys, it's time for us to have a prayer meeting. They went and had a prayer meeting, and lo and behold, God revealed the dream and the interpretation. But I find it interesting that in verse 23 of Daniel chapter 2, Daniel did not say, Oh, I'm so glad I'm a wise man. Oh, I'm so glad that I'm so important. And, and so valued by God that he would entrust me with this, this, sacred, uh, this secret. He says, no, I thank thee, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have revealed this secret unto me. And when he stood before Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't take the credit one time, did he? He said, it's not because of my wisdom. It's not because of my knowledge more than any other man, but there's a God in heaven. And he revealed this secret unto me to give it to you. Uh, and the interpretation is sure. In other words, what God says is going to come to pass. I think, brothers and sisters, I think we take for granted the Bible. I'm just putting it plain. I, I, I believe the worst sin that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ commits today is neglect of Bible reading and Bible memorization and, and home devotions, family devotions, devotions in the home where we teach our children the importance and significance of God's Word. I think we've fallen down on the job. I'm just being, I'm just being honest. With, I believe we've fallen down on the job and we're reaping that consequence today. I read a statistic not too long ago that said that 83% of children raised in a Christian home today after four years of college become agnostic or atheistic or worse. 83% of families claiming to be Christian and their children go to college for four years and they come back an atheist or an agnostic? I'm not going to blame the college. I'm not going to blame profane teachers. I'm going to blame parents that have not raised their children up and rooted them in the Word of God. That's a sign of unthankfulness. We're not thankful for the moral blessings that God has given us in wisdom and knowledge through His Word. I'm thankful this morning for the eternal blessings that we have in Christ. I'm thankful... For you that love Christ and serve Him wholeheartedly. I really am. I'm thankful for the men and women of Christ, just as the Apostle Paul was. If you want, uh, turn with me very quickly this morning to Romans chapter 1. I'm talking about uh, a, a heart of thanksgiving for those that love the Lord. Uh, listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. He says first in his letter to the Roman, Roman, the church at Rome, he says, first, I thank my God. Uh, don't you love that? I, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. See, that shows you he was southern born he, from y'all. 
uh, uh, for y'all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I think that's a tremendous blessing that we take for granted the eternal blessings that we have in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, he, he reminds us of that. He says, nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Is that, is that something to be thankful for this morning? Is that something to be thankful for? I, I, I'm thankful this morning that I'm not afraid of Hamas. I, I'm not afraid of uh, Hezbollah. I'm not afraid of the devil himself when I'm standing in, on the promises of God filled with the Spirit of Christ. I'm not afraid of them. I'm not afraid. I tell you, when I learned about what Hamas did to those... Uh, innocent uh, Israeli families, boys and girls, little babies. Man, there was something in me. I think it's the southern boy in me. I wanted to go get my gun, get a ticket, and go help them out. But you know what? The Lord convicted me. And he says, what you need to do is take the gospel to them. They need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. Because they haven't heard it. I want them to know that in Christ Jesus we have spiritual blessings. In Christ Jesus we have moral blessings. In Christ Jesus we have eternal blessings that can never be taken away. In Romans chapter 1 verse 16 the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Are you thankful this morning for those blessings? Are you thankful that there's judgments of God upon the wicked? You know, we're living in a very unjust society. We're living in a dualistic justice system. You see it every day. But brothers and sisters, I'm rejoicing this morning that there's a payday someday. For the wicked, listen to what David said in Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. He says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Brother Nathan, there's your text. I will show forth thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name. What is he doing? He's being thankful. I will sing praise unto thy name, O thou most high, when mine enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. Brothers and sisters, there's a God in heaven that is going to dispense perfect justice one day. We don't see it today, but God is going to impose certain justice. And I'm going to say this, and I hope, I hope I'm clear with this. I, I hope you don't misunderstand this. And I hope you can be thankful for this point. God is as glorified in the condemnation of the wicked as He is in the salvation of the elect. Now, that's hard for us to embrace. That's hard for us to really understand this morning. 
but by faith we believe that God is going to be glorified in the overthrow of the wicked just as much as He is in the salvation of His people. I want to be thankful for that reality. I want to be thankful for the extension of Christ's kingdom. Go with me to the book of Revelation very quickly here. I just need a few points along this line in Revelation I want to go to chapter 7. No, uh, uh, no, no. I want to go to chapter 11. See, I've got my Bible marked in several places here. In verse 17. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. This is, this is uh, uh, God dispensing His uh, judgment Listen to this in verse back up to verse 15. And when the seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his great uh, of, of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. I, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you can bank on this. Jesus is going to win in the end. His kingdom is going to com- conquer. His kingdom is going to be over all. Listen to this. Are you thankful? And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God just like that cleansed leper fell down on his face and he worshipped God saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art, which wast, and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned and the nations were angry and thy wrath is come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets and to the saints and them that fear thy name small and great and shouldest destroy them that destroy the earth or that corrupt the earth i'm thankful i know that The wicked aren't getting away with anything. The courts may say, uh, slap the hand of some people and say, everybody does that. The the eyes of justice today are jaundiced. They're not equal. But there's coming a day when true justice is going to be meted out. And the wicked are going to pay the price. We can thank God for that. I want to thank God this morning for Jesus Christ, that unspeakable gift. I want to be like Anna, who in Luke chapter 2, verse 38, when when she came into the temple, remember Mary and Joseph were there to present Jesus before the Lord and to do and, and to have him circumcised according to the law. And remember Simeon said, Now let us thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Well, Anna came in and she's a widow that served in the temple for many years and the Holy Spirit revealed to Anna that this was the true Messiah and she began to thank God who sent the Messiah for the consolation of Israel. I want to be like her. I want to be thankful for her and thankful for the gift of salvation in Christ. I want to close with one last verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
May God save us from the attitude of ingratitude this morning. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, the Apostle Paul in his last letter, his last word to the church, he says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Brothers and sisters, I believe we're living in those times today. The word perilous means grievous, hard, difficult, violent. In Matthew 8, 28, the same Greek word is, is translated exceedingly fierce. We're living in that day. We're living in the last days. And he says this about those last days that shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves and covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. You know, that's a bad list, isn't it? But you know what he puts in that list? Disobedient to parents. What? Disobedient to parents. Because you see, disobedience to parents is a reflection of disobedience to God. Because the parents are given by God to be authorities over us. You know, the world around us is saying that's cute when children uh, cuss out their parents. Or when children disobey their parents. Or when children uh, flagrantly rebel against their parents. Oh, that's just a stage. But brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. It's very serious. We can't allow our children to be disobedient to us and not pay the price. Disobedient to parents. You know what the Apostle Paul said in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians? He says, he says children, I want you to honor, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. That it might be well with thee and that thou mayest live long upon the earth. There's a blessing connected with obedience to parents. Now, now I know I, I, I'm talking about parents that are in the home that are under the, the, the watch care and guidance of, of the parents. I'm not talking about adult children. You know, when, when our children move away from home, they're responsible for themselves and the home that they build. And the lives that they live. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about being intentional as mamas and daddies raising up children that obey you because you're seeking to obey God. Simple as that. Disobedient to parents. And then what's the next one? In that great list. What's the next one? unthankful did you see that a lot of times we miss that we just read past that and we don't even we don't even acknowledge it but here it is unthankfulness is in the same category of those attitudes that god despises and will ultimately judge not only unthankful but unholy without natural affection truce breakers false accusers incontinent fierce despisers of them that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, he says, from such turn away. 
Oh, may God save us from the sin of ingratitude. May God save us from the wrong attitude toward God and toward authority over us. You know, uh, I, I had a discussion this week uh, over uh, uh, something we read in Psalm 107. A brother in a church in Oklahoma asked me why in Psalm 107 is it repeated four times, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works to the children of men. Why would that be an issue? Why would that be such a big issue? That He would repeat it four times in the same chapter. I'll tell you why. Because men are prone to be unthankful. By nature, we're prone to disregard the Word of God. By nature, we're prone to be disrespectful and disobedient to the Word of God. But I want you to notice in closing this morning in Psalm chapter 107, verse uh, 21 and 22, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works to the children of men, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. Where are the nine this morning? Am I part of that? Am I one of those nine? Have I been convicted by the Spirit this morning that I'm not as grateful as I ought to be? That, that I'm not as thankful this morning as I ought to be? Well, you know what the remedy is? Do what this one Samaritan cleansed leper did. He turned back. He went to Jesus. He fell on his face before Jesus. He glorified God. And he heard what Jesus taught him in that lesson. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Now, go live that life of faith that you have been saved to. God bless you. Thank you for your good attention.